Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect program. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the program, please press star then zero on your touch-tone telephone. As a reminder, this program is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your host for today's program, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you very much, Trinisha, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect program. This is the fourth annual Cancer Survivorship Series, Living With, Through, and Beyond Cancer. And the focus of today's program is Stress Management Tips for Survivors. Now, today's program is truly a collaborative effort between Cancer Care, the National Cancer Institute, the Lance Armstrong Foundation, the Intercultural Cancer Council, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. And it is that collaboration that has enabled us to reach so many of you on today's call. And I wanted to say that there are lots of you on the call today. We have over 1,356 participants on our program today. And you come from all over the United States. You come from large cities, from smaller cities, and also from rural areas as well. And we also have a number of international participants um, from Canada, Guatemala, Iran, New Zealand, the Philippines, Romania, Taiwan, and the UK. So you really come from all over the world as well. And you are clearly a group of information seekers who have chosen to spend the next hour with us. Now, I would like to turn your attention for a moment to the information that you received from us in confirming your participation today. And that information included um, a, a number of different pieces. It included an outline that has been prepared by our speakers and that they will be following, so you have that outline in front of you. You also have wonderful information about each of the sponsoring organizations. And I do want to say um, a word about, about that. Um, you have, um, from the National Cancer Institute, you have information um, about uh, many of their programs. Um, uh, you also have information um, about the Live Strong program, the Lance Armstrong Foundation program, the Intercultural Cancer Council materials, a Living Beyond Breast Cancer programs, um, and um, also the materials f from the uh, National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship and Cancer Care. So you have all of those materials in your, in your uh, materials. You also have um, information about upcoming programs and support groups that are offered as well. Now, there's also an evaluation form. I ask you to take a moment at the end of today's program and complete that evaluation form. Your feedback is really critical to us as we move forward with pro planning these programs. This topic was really based on your recommendations from our last year's program, and we are hoping to move forward with a fifth annual program, and so we very much need your feedback to both document the need for the programs, but also only your suggestions can help us to uh, go in the best direction with these programs. Also, I would like to say that today's program has been made possible by educational grants from the National Cancer Institute and the Lance Armstrong Foundation, and we really thank them for supporting not only today's program, but this entire series. Now, we have just a wonderful faculty on today's program, and I want to acknowledge um, that faculty. Um, we just have wonderful speakers. Um, before, however, um, we move into the speakers, I would like to introduce uh, to you, all of you uh, Dr. Julia Rowland. Um, and Dr. Uh, Dr. Rowland actually has been a, a critical uh, person in uh, helping these programs to develop over time. Um, she's played a key role in, in these programs um, over a very long time. 
and um, we're just delighted uh, to have um, her with us. Uh, Dr. Dr. Rowland is Director, Office of Cancer Survivorship, Division of Cancer Control and Population Sciences at the National Cancer Institute. And Dr. Rowland would like to say some words of welcome to you as well as say some things about the program today. Dr. Rowland? Thank you, Carolyn, for your is always very gracious uh, introduction. I want to add my word of warm welcome to all of you participating in today's uh, teleconference and also a special thanks to our speakers. The National Cancer Institute, represented today by the Office of Cancer Survivorship, the office I have the privilege to direct, the Office of Education and Special Initiatives, and the Cancer Information Service is pleased to serve once again as an organizational partner in this fourth year of our groundbreaking teleconference series, focusing on the issues faced by survivors and their loved ones after treatment ends. We are also pleased to be able, along with the Lance Armstrong Foundation, to serve as a co-funder of this program. 2006 represents a very special year for many of us. Earlier this year, the National Cancer Institute's Cancer Information Service celebrated its 30th anniversary of providing cancer information and education to the public. The CIS was originally established in 1975 and took its first call in 1976. Since then, its trained information specialists have answered the questions of thousands of callers. More information on the CIS and its unique and ever-expanding set of services, partnerships, and programs can be found in the information packets and resources you received upon registration for the teleconference. 2006 also marks the 20th anniversary of the founding of the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, another partner in today's program. And... It was the coalition's current president and CEO, Ellen Stovall, whose compelling advocacy on behalf of all survivors and their loved ones helped establish the Office of Cancer Survivorship at the National Cancer Institute, an historic event which took place 10 years ago and which we'll celebrate this October 4th through 6th at our Biennial Cancer Survivorship Research Conference that will be held here in Washington, D.C., the overall goal of the Office of Cancer Survivorship is to improve the length and quality of survival for all those living with a history of cancer. A figure currently estimated is including almost 10.5 million individuals in the United States alone. The office achieves this mission by pursuing activities in three areas, supporting and directing research, underwriting and advocating for the training of researchers and clinicians dedicated to studying and treating or caring for survivors, and participating in the development of educational materials and programs designed to equip cancer survivors and their caregivers with the information they need to master their own or help the loved one to achieve optimal health and well-being after cancer. Today's program is an important part of the National Cancer Institute's educational mission. The topic we've chosen for this particular workshop, Understanding and Managing Stress, reflects an issue that many survivors have told us raises concerns for them as they seek to take control of their health after cancer. Survivors often ask themselves and their healthcare professionals, why do I feel so stressed now that treatment has ended? What's the role of stress in my health? And how can I reduce the stress that I am experiencing? As you'll hear shortly, our three outstanding speakers bring both personal and professional insights into understanding and managing stress, wisdom that arguably is a benefit to all of us in coping with today's challenging world. I'm very pleased to be co-hosting this fourth series again with my esteemed colleague, Carolyn Mesner, to whom I'll now return the program. Well, thank you very much, Julia, and it's a great honor to be co-hosting this with you, and this is just wonderful to have this program today. Now, I would like to have our speakers um, introduce our speakers, and we have quite a wonderful um, 
array of speakers today. And our first speaker is uh, Richard Dickens, um, and he's a cancer survivor. He also is program coordinator for blood cancers, project coordinator, mind-body program at Cancer Care. And he's going to provide the survivor perspective. Rick? Thank you, Carolyn. It's a real pleasure to be on this program with such an esteemed group and several of you who I've had the opportunity of hearing in past venues before, and I really am um, honored to be here. I'm here as a 52-year-old three-time cancer survivor who also happens to be an oncology social worker. Cancer has been my career for the last nine years, but survivorship has been my life since diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 1999. The preceding bout of treatment was followed by a recurrence two years later in an allogeneic bone marrow transplant. Then in 1996, I had a skin cancer removed, likely the result of the total body radiation during transplant. I've had 15 years to live the issues of survivorship, which I've found encompass a mix of physical losses, psychological struggles, and spiritual challenges, all of which leaves me with more questions than answers. Dare I dream of seeing my young nieces get married? Is it wise to put scarce money away into a retirement account? How do I deal with survivorship guilt when so many I've met weren't so lucky? When cancer struck at age 37, I was lucky to have a strong faith and a working understanding of meditation techniques. Those practices provided my foundation for navigating the stressors of cancer and then survivorship. Along the way, I saw my answer to stress as peace. 15 years post-diagnosis and 12 years post-treatment, I continue to ask myself, what is survivorship? I call survivorship a tenuous truce, which for some continues indefinitely, but for others like me, truces are followed by periodic skirmishes and sometimes a return to battle. Eventually, I created an acronym out of the word peace to center my life as a cancer survivor, which I call my metaphor for staying healthy, and I'd like to share that with you. In this acronym, I call the letter P power, power to remind myself of the power of affirmations. Affirmations are positive short sayings or quotes. Since my mind is always trying to drag me toward worry and doubt, I plaster my walls at home and work with these hopeful reminders. One of my favorite is a simple anonymous quote that states, I asked God how much time do I have left before I die? He replied, enough to make a difference. This reminds me every day that each day affords me an opportunity to make a difference in at least one person's life. That difference is what lives on whether I'm around or not. A terrific technique for negative thinking is Vipassana meditation or mindful meditation, which I practice. Mindfulness trains someone to look at feelings non-judgmentally, thereby providing peace with unwanted emotions during times of uncertainty. The letter E for embracing new role models helps me live with uncertainty. Confronting cancer survivorship meant embracing new role models, whom I found among historical people, famous celebrities, and even a neighbor down the street. In our day-to-day -day existence, we all admire people who faced adversity, leading me to A, accepting myself as a role model to others. The truth is when adversity knocks on our door, we ourselves are forced to become touched with new insight. I wanted to ignore this unwanted insight, but I also knew, like those who guided me, it was now my turn to pass this on to others, those newer to the cancer experience. 
The fourth letter, C, means to confront uncertainty. I've found that one of the best ways to confront uncertainty is to set goals. We all have goals, but oftentimes cancer survivors are afraid to make them. I was in the midst of a career change, ironically to become an oncology social worker when I was diagnosed with an incurable but treatable cancer. In 1991, I was given a prognosis of 10 years. Of course, my current short-term goals had to change immediately to embrace treatment, and they had to change again when I suffered recurrence. But my mid-range goal to finish my degree didn't have to change, and my long-term goal to live into old age didn't have to change as much as be revised. Instead of looking to my golden years, I made a 13-year dream to celebrate my 50th birthday. Living with uncertainty is what I call being a realistic optimist. Acknowledging there's a big question mark on my life doesn't need to stop me from doing everything I can to make it as long and enjoyable as possible. The funny thing about long-term goals is that sometimes you reach them, and then you're faced with the dilemma of making new ones. I don't know why I got lucky with my cancer, but that luck included hosting my 50th birthday party in 2003 for over 50 family and friends. As cancer survivors, we can't escape the fact uncertainty remains an ever-constant companion. But with mindfulness and peace, I have found a way to live with it. And now the final E for envision, hope. If there's a half glass of water, I can decide whether it is half empty or half full. I wish each of you a lifetime filled with realistic optimism and months and years filled with peace power to embrace, accept, confront, and envision plenty of opportunities to make a difference. As cancer survivors, we are already lucky. I say stretch that luck to the limits. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rick, for that just wonderfully inspirational, just excellent, really, very inspirational, um, and for starting off with your perspective. Thank you. Our next speaker is uh, Suzanne Leshner, and Suzanne is Director of Psychosocial Support and Research. Brayman Family Breast Cancer Institute, UM Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center, Assistant Professor of Psychiatry, Miller School of Medicine, University of Miami. Dr. Leshner wears many hats, you can see, and we're delighted to have her with you today. Dr. Leshner? Thanks very much, and it is a real pleasure for me to be here as well. And I want to acknowledge what Rick Dickens just said, and his techniques are so moving and, and so wise, and, and there is so much behind uh, his words, and I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, certainly, as you just heard and as all of you know, living with cancer is stressful and anxiety-provoking, and it's hard on the survivors and their families. And so my goal today is to talk a little bit about stress, what it is, what it isn't, um, the ways that you can recognize some of the common symptoms of stress. Um, and talk a little bit about the impact of stress on people's lives. Um, the first point that I want to get across is that stress is universal and it's also necessary. There is no such thing as a stress-free life, at least not in the human condition anyway. Um, and nor is a stress-free life something that we want to even try to attain. Stress plays a very important role in our lives in motivating us and encouraging us to be the best that we can be. And so in that sense, we don't want to completely remove stress from our lives. That said, we do want to manage our stress. And the goal is more along the lines of reducing the stress that causes us distress. 
And so let me move into talking a little bit about what's the difference between stress and stressor. Now, we hear those terms sometimes, um, and in our academic circles, we actually do uh, separate those out. And so we can talk about stress as being the physical, mental, or emotional tension that someone experiences in reaction to an event. Now, notice in there the key part of it is reaction because a stressor itself is the event or the situation that causes the reaction that one is experiencing. Stressors in and of themselves can be neutral, and sometimes they can be perceived as positive by other people. A lot of it depends on your state of mind at the moment. So um, what is stressful for one person, let's say sitting in traffic on the highway, is not necessarily going to be perceived that way by another person. So it's nice to um, make the distinction between those types of things. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later on. Um, and I also want to talk a little bit about um, the fact that we also have good stress in our lives. And other than it being motivating, when we think about stressors, we can think about um, negative stressors, and we can think about positive stressors. Now, on many of our scales in which we measure stress and we measure stressors, things like getting married or having a baby or moving to a new home are included as stress. Why? Because they challenge us. But are these inherently negative things? Probably not. So we can talk about how stressors also have controllable and uncontrollable aspects to them. And what I mean by that is that when we think about um, breaking down each event into its component parts, we can think about how um, there are aspects that we can control and aspects that we can't. For example, I'll give you a, a great example that we use here down in Florida a lot um, as we're dealing with hurricane season, um, which affects many of us and I'm sure affects many of you out there as well, that when a hurricane is coming and there's a hurricane warning, it's very scary for us. There's a lot of things to do. There's a lot of things to worry about. But if you want to break it down, you can think about that making preparations and buying what you need to buy and putting together your homes and making sure that everyone is safe is part of what's controllable. What's uncontrollable is the unknown about where the hurricane might hit or uh, what type of damage we might have. But by focusing on what is controllable and what is uncontrollable, we can kind of slow down the process and manage our stress. See, stress when uh, back in the days when we were uh, prehistoric man and running from woolly mammoths, stress was good for us because we had a flight or fight response in which the body was activated. The body was motivated to do what you needed to do, whether it was to stay and fight that woolly mammoth or run away. The problem is we're left with the remnants of that now and Instead of it being adaptive, it's no longer helpful for us. But what happens with the fight-or-flight response is that our bodies react, and our bodies are reacting to a mental situation. Um, and that's really key because it's really a reaction based on our thoughts. 
And so what I think it's useful to do now is to move into talking about how to identify stressors and the common symptoms of stress. Because sometimes we're really not aware that we're having stress or we know that we're feeling out of sorts, but we're not quite sure why. And so it's useful to break it down and to look for cues that tell us, okay, I'm feeling stressed and here's why. And one of the things that I like to do is break it down into some categories to allow for awareness. And awareness really is half the battle when we're talking about stress management. So we can talk about the physical effects of stress. And I'm sure that there are many people out there who suffer from back aches or neck tension or stomach aches, indigestion, and symptoms of those sort when they're feeling stressed. We can also talk about another symptom of stress category being emotional. And this is when you're feeling irritable, you're feeling hopeless, perhaps feeling angry, um, feeling like you're unable to relax, feeling depressed. Uh, these are all emotional symptoms of stress to be aware of. Next, we can talk about social effects of stress. And this is really how a person acts in response to other people when he or she is under stress. Sometimes this includes avoiding others or isolating themselves. Um, sometimes it also includes seeking out other people um, or finding someone to vent to um, or perhaps even getting easily irritated with other people. The fourth category that we like to talk about is the behavioral symptoms of stress. So now we've talked about the physical and the emotional and the social, but there's also certain behaviors that people will engage in when they're feeling stressed. That's a really good cue for you to know that uh, you're feeling stressed and that it's time to employ some of the stress management techniques that we're gonna talk about later. Um, and including things like sleeping too much, eating too much, feeling very fidgety, um, those types of changes from who you usually are is a, a good indicator that you're feeling stressed out. Um, and finally, this is a, a fancy cognitive term, um, actually the term cognitive. It's a, a term that we use to talk about the way that we think about things. Um, and so good examples of this cognitive category are things like anxious thoughts or fearful anticipation, poor concentration, difficulty with memory. These things are all symptoms of stress and, and let you know that there's something going on that needs to be taken care of. Okay, so now that you're aware that you're stressed and you're kind of aware of the ways that it is affecting your body. It's um, not just your body, but your body and your mind as well. It's important to then think about what are the things in life that cause stress for you, thinking about those types of events that might be triggers. And this is something that's going to be very individual. This is something that uh, different people are going to experience differently from others. And so, um, what might be stressful for one person is not necessarily stressful for another. 
And when we're talking um, about cancer-related stressors, we're talking about things such as um, scheduling treatment or scheduling follow-up visits with your physician. Um, talking about dealing with medical personnel in terms of having tests done and dealing with insurance companies is a, a very enormous stressor for many people. Um, another aspect is the social aspect of um, dealing with cancer and, and living with cancer, which has to do with trying to be positive all of the time and trying to put on a good face, which can be stressful for many people and um, can wear you out a good bit. And so it's important to be aware that of those things that trigger stress in you. And then, of course, for all survivors and for all loved ones of survivors, there's also the non-cancer stressors that are very important to be aware of and to think about. We all have family demands. We all have work demands. We all have relationship demands. Um, and these things, although they add richness to our lives and uh, are a very important aspect of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, um, they can also be stressful at times. And so some events in our lives are both good and bad. They are both stressful um, and are buffers to stress as well. Um, when I think about relationships, I think about how wonderful my relationships are when things are working, but how stressful they can be when they're not working. And so one of the things that we can work on is how to communicate with loved ones and friends or the medical team or whoever the communication difficulty is with uh, in order to reduce the stressfulness of those interactions. So um, really the goal of stress management is to, to kind of sum up, to say that we want to become more aware of the situations in which you are most likely to experience stress, your typical reactions to stressful events, and how your thoughts regarding these situations could be related to how you feel emotionally, um, and to be aware of the common symptoms of stress that can give you cues and let you know that um, you're experiencing stress. And so now I'm going to turn over the workshop to um, Dr. Spiegel, who will talk a little bit more about some tips and techniques and um, the importance of handling stress as part of your survivorship plan. I want to thank you very much, Dr. Leshner, for just a wonderful, um, excellent presentation. Um, and, and now we do have Dr. David Spiegel with us. He's Wilson Professor in the School of Medicine, Associate Chair, Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, Stanford University School of Medicine. And Dr. Spiegel will actually address some of the issues of how to really, how to handle stress um, well as a part of your survivorship plan. Uh, Dr. Spiegel? Thank you, uh, Carolyn. I'm honored to, uh, to be here. Um, you might think of stress uh, something like the alarm clock we all experienced this morning as a kind of wake-up call. Uh, at the time, it may seem unwelcome, but it's also a signal system uh, to tell us that we better pay attention to something that's bothering us. So the first message I would try to put across is honor your emotions. Stress may be unwelcome, but um, 
really what makes it stressful is more has more to do with how we respond to it than whether or not we have it. Uh, the, the jazz trumpeter Louis Armstrong uh, told a wonderful story about how his mama taught him to deal with stress. She sent him down to the river to get some water, and he came running back saying there was an alligator there, and he was scared to death. And his mother said, uh, Louis, uh, don't you worry. That alligator's more scared of you than you are of him. And he said, if that's true, mama, that water ain't fit to drink. So clearly we have to face and deal with things that are terribly frightening to us, but if we can put a different twist on them, we can figure out what to do about them. Uh, uh, Dr. Rowland mentioned, actually, that at the end of treatment is a particularly stressful time. One of my patients said she found herself walking around Stanford Hospital in tears on the last day of her radiotherapy, and she was puzzled herself. She wondered, why is it that um, I can't uh, stop from crying? And the, the thing, the key issue about stress is that it's not just the presentation of the stressor, but the availability of a response to the stress. And what she was feeling and what many cancer survivors feel is that at a time when they ought to be happiest, that is the radiotherapy, the chemotherapy is over, they actually find themselves feeling more stressed and more scared. And the reason is that they no longer feel they're doing something about the cancer. They're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And they've lost some of the social support that actually comes with being surrounded by people who offer treatment. In addition, many people defer other life problems until after acute treatment is over. They say, well, I can't handle that now. I'll deal with it later. So acute treatment is over. People now have to face and deal with those things. And clearly, an accumulation of stressors can affect your quality of life. But the real issue is how do you manage and address those stressors? Stress makes you feel helpless. And anything you can do uh, to find some aspect of the stress you can do something about will make you feel less helpless and will help you address the stress. Uh, one of the general things to do is follow your grandmother's advice. Eat well, sleep well, get plenty of exercise. We tend, at times of stress, to ignore the basic body maintenance functions that allow our bodies to respond well. And we've all had the experience of finding some problem that was driving us crazy at 10.30 at night to be perfectly soluble after a good night's sleep the next morning. Our, our mood is better, our ability to handle things are better. So one message is, since your body is coping with a disease that is a threat, give your body the best chance it can have by making sure you take care of it in the way your grandmother would have wanted you to. Eat well, sleep well, get plenty of reasonable exercise. What are some other tips for stress management? How do you, how do you handle it? Um, I, I loved um, uh, Rick's uh, acronym of peace. I have a different one. My acronym is FACES, F-A-C-E-S. Uh, and the first, the F is for facing rather than fleeing. Uh, we tend to want to hide, avoid, not deal with stressors. And I, I can tell you that from three decades of running support groups for women with advanced breast cancer and other uh, cancer survivors, it is clear to me that dealing with problems head-on is a much better way to handle them than denying or avoiding them. Because the more specific the problem is, the more likely you are to be able to come up with a reasonable response to it. And the more manageable your own mood is. If you know that you're upset because you're worried about a recurrence or you're worried about some treatment decision or you're worried about health insurance or financing care, um, you understand that your current anxiety, your current stress, is related to a real stressor. If you keep brushing it aside, what tends to happen over time is you feel bad, but you're not sure why you feel bad. could be a number of things. And the, the more there's a disconnect between what's making you feel bad and how you feel, the more immobilized you are to do anything about it. So it is very important to face rather than flee stressors. Take them head on, deal with them as they're occurring. 
The second A is alter perception and thinking about uh, stressors. And you heard a nice illustration from Rick about using mindfulness-based stress reduction. Uh, one of the principles that can be very helpful is to, to train yourself to live more in the moment. That's one of the, the great ideas of mindfulness. That is, the past is past, the future isn't here yet. What you really control is the present. And it can sometimes pull you out of excessive worry about situations uh, that you may or may not be able to do much about. Uh, another technique that's very helpful is self-hypnosis. I teach my patients to just focus intently. Hypnosis is just a form of highly focused attention, like the feeling you have in a good movie. When you get so caught up in the movie, you forget you're in a theater. People can very effectively control the amount of anxiety and pain they have, for example, by imagining that a part of their body that hurts is tingling or cool or numb, uh, or that they're just floating in a pleasant place where they tend to feel comfortable, because the association of pain with anxiety about recurrence um, will actually make the pain worse. And if you can make things worse with your mind, you can also make them better with your mind. So techniques like mindfulness, self-hypnosis, and other mind-body techniques can be an extremely helpful way to manage some of the symptoms related to cancer and cancer survivorship. The third uh, is C, coping actively. Um, the more active you are in response to a stressor, the less the stressor is going to dominate your lives. And as you've heard before, there are some aspects of stress we just don't control. And the key is to find that aspect of the stressor that you do and do something about it. Um, so it's like, you know, Niebuhr's great uh, serenity prayer, you know, Lord, give me the uh, the courage to change what I can change, uh, the uh, grace to accept what I can't, and the wisdom to know one from the other. So look at um, a stressor that's coming along, whether it's fear of a recurrence, um, a, a diagnostic test. One of the things, you know, many cancer survivors will say that the worst, it, it actually feels worse waiting for the results of a test than it does to get the results, even if it's bad news. And the reason is that if it's bad news, at least you know what to do about it. You're going to have to go back on chemotherapy or something else. So I encourage patients, number one, to get their healthcare professionals to get the information to them as quickly as possible. But number two, think through what you would do if you had either result. If you had a clean scan and you were fine, good, you'll go out and celebrate. If not, who are you going to meet with? How are you going to decide what your next treatment steps are so that you're feeling less helpless regardless of which way the result turns out to be? So cope actively. The fourth is E, expressing emotion. Um, uh, we tend to, I think, in medicine to treat uh, crying as if it were bleeding. You know, the way to stop it is to apply direct pressure until it stops. Um, emotion should be your friend, not your enemy. We have this emotion system to get our attention. We process huge amounts of information, and what emotions do is they tell you this is important, pay attention to it, this one isn't, ignore it. So if something is making you fearful, angry, or sad, the thing to do is use your emotion system as that kind of wake-up alarm system to say, I better pay attention to it, and then get the thinking going and say, okay, what can I do about it? But in general, I think we're ashamed often of our own emotions. Uh, many cancer survivors are ashamed that they feel sad, angry, fearful, or other emotions about their illness. And you've earned a right to have those feelings. The issue is, do you use them constructively as a kind of guidelines along a path for you to do something about the stressors. And the final uh, letter is ask social support. You know, we're fundamentally social creatures, despite the fantasy we all seem to have that we're just splendid individuals. Uh, humankind evolved the way it did because we have learned, at least at times, to cooperate with one another. 
And one of the real burdens of having an illness like cancer, which due to the good work of many people here and many other people is much less stigmatized than it used to be, uh, is that it still tends to isolate people. You still tend to feel that you're the person there with the cancer and everyone else is a healthy, happy, normal uh, person. Uh, and so finding ways of repairing the damage to social networks that occurs when you have an illness like cancer, the loss of people who, who are unwilling to discuss the C word with you. Uh, you know, some friends get a lot better and are wonderful and others just kind of disappear. Uh, networks of support among cancer patients, support groups and other kinds of connections among cancer patients can be wonderfully helpful because it's a situation where you give as well as receive help. Uh, you feel better about yourself if you've learned something that can help someone else deal better with cancer, and you can receive a lot of support, too. So I'm a strong advocate of re building social support networks that include other cancer survivors uh, and also better communication with family and friends. Let them know. You take the lead. Let them know that you're willing and able to talk about cancer, that it's not, you're not going to dissolve in tears if they mention the word cancer. Um, ask them for what you would like them to do to help you, and that can be a way of uh, taking charge of and improving your social networks. So the acronym is FACES, facing rather than fleeing, alter perception, and you're thinking about the problems, cope actively, express emotion, and enhance social support. And if you do that, you can use the stress of cancer as an occasion for growth and, a, and better mastery of the role of survivorship. In that sense, feeling may lead to healing. Wow. Thank you very much, Dr. Stigo. Very wonderful tips. Just really great, great wisdom. And I really thank you very much for this, um, for your presentation. And I want to introduce Linda Taylor. Linda Taylor is Education Resource Manager, Public Health, Lance Armstrong Foundation. And um, Linda actually um, wants to say some words of welcome to all of you. Linda. Yes, thank you, Carolyn. And thank you to our great speakers. That really was wonderful information. Very, very useful. Um, and the Lance Armstrong Foundation is very pleased to partner with all of the organizations that made this series possible. Um, this education series is a reflection of the LAF's mission to inspire and empower people affected by cancer. And we provide support in commu to community-centered initiatives that address the physical, emotional, and practical challenges of cancer. And we also help cancer survivors navigate the cancer system through our survivor care program and our Live Strong resource for cancer survivors. And we support scientific and clinical research that seeks to better understand the physical, emotional, and psychological effects of cancer. And we, we also sponsor national advocacy initiatives to help the voice of the cancer community be heard on Capitol Hill. So we thank you, each of you who have joined us today um, on this really important topic about stress management, and we hope that the information is helpful to you. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Linda, and, thank, and I want to thank you, and I want to thank the Lance Armstrong Foundation for their support of this program um, as well. Um, I actually want to thank all of our speakers today. It's been a really extraordinary call. I want to thank all of you for your participation. I want to thank all of you who have been listening as well with other questions that you may have that you didn't have a chance to ask so that we will hope that you'll call us with your questions. Um, this um, is a very important program, and um, we're, this is a one-hour education program, and then we recognize in planning a program like this that you all have many needs that go far beyond the scope of a one-hour program. So, again, we want to invite you all to take advantage of all the services that all the organizations offer on today's call. They all have very unique services that you can access at no cost, and uh, all of them have 800 numbers and uh, are accessible to you um, really simply a phone call away. 
Now, I do want to remind you this is part one of a three-part series. So um, part two is on May 23rd. Is it my cancer? Am I getting older? That's, that's part two. And um, we also will have a part three on June 20th, Managing Your Costs of Recovery, so that um, we hope that you'll participate in all of these programs. Some of you have signed up for everything already. Um, also, in concluding our program today, I don't want anyone to feel you're alone with your questions or your concerns. We want you to feel that you're part now of a community of support um, and that if you have a question or a concern, even if you asked a question but there's another part to it, that you'll feel comfortable calling us. Um, we're available at 1-800-813-HOPE. So we're simply a telephone call away, and we want you to not feel that when we when the end of the call that you're alone, that we want you to feel you are connected to a array of services, as well as all the organizations on today's program. So I want to thank you for participating today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day, and I look forward to you being on the, on the next program. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the program. You may disconnect and have a wonderful day.